and uh, and prayerfully. I, I know I won't be able to finish it tonight, but uh, but I'm hoping that you'll be able to perceive those things and enjoy the richness that's in this book because it does parallel some things and it does um, it does. Uh, give us an insight, and again, it goes, just goes back to that the statement that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and uh, and that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed in a lot of ways. And so, uh, the Book of Numbers really it begins where um, let's put it in its time frame. This this the historians or whatever, chronologists, you know, people that keep track of times and so forth, they say that this was written somewhere around 1440 to 1400 B.C. And uh, and so, you know, we don't really have, uh, you have to do some research in order to be able to find that clear chronology going back from Genesis down through Exodus and Leviticus and so forth. But think about it. Some time has gone by. And, um, and so because when they were, when they left out of Egypt, yes, they were out there and they journeyed and they were so many days on that. And they go to Mount Sinai and he's so many days up on the mountain and the first time, and then some other things that happen, and then he goes back up again, and he's back up there getting the instructions for the uh, for the tabernacle and all. And you know, they didn't have uh, 3D printers back then. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They had to have somebody that could create, craft all the things that had to be. Uh, that had to be built, that had to be made. And, you know, and those, those, uh, things like the candlestick and the, the, uh, altar of incense and the table of showbread and all that took time. And, uh, and so it wasn't just done in a week or two. Even though there were many, many of them, many hands, it took some time. And so what you're going to find is that the book of Numbers is going to span some 38 years, somewhere around two years in their journey to about to the 40th year, because we know that, or the 42nd year, because we know that there's a generation that's going to go by, right? And they're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And so we know at least that much length of time is recorded here in this, in this book. And so uh, that kind of gives you a little bit of the setting here. But this, is a, this has to do with time. Uh, the, in the nature of the book, it deals with time. And it also deals with the record of their service, which sort of follows along in the fall of man found in Genesis, the redemption of man in Exodus, and then how to how to walk with God, how to worship God in the book of Leviticus. And now they're going to start off on their journey. But you don't get to that till around chapter ten or so when they when they finally you know the ark or the, everything is put together and they pitch the camp. And then the Lord says, "Hey, it's time to go." And so everybody had to get their assignments, which we're going to learn about in here. Who's going to put the tent up? Who's going to take it down? How are we going to carry these things? And uh, and even like all the offerings and things that were about to be done, all the recipes that were put together and all the, like the flesh hooks and the thing, all that had to be created, all that had to be crafted and manufactured. And, uh, and they were able to do it. And even the horns, the trumpets, if you will, that they were going to use, they had to be made. 
And, uh, and there, are, there are two of these uh, trumpets that are used in the book of Numbers, and he gives instructions with that. When he blows one, that means when just one of the trumpets blows, then that means that's when all the, the princes of the heads of the families are supposed to meet in front of the tabernacle. When two of them are blown, that means, man, we're going to start packing things up, and it's going to be time to go, and we're going to be setting off on our ways. And so the Lord is even giving them the means of communication and what those communications mean. And if if you're going to sound an alarm or there's no alarm or whatever. I mean, uh, you know, God is interested in the details. Amen. And, uh, and, and, and about their lives. And so that's what he's doing. And so, um, so it continues the story of Israel's journey uh, to Canaan. And, uh, and the name, it gets its name from the fact that they're going to number the, the number of men in Israel that are fit for war. They're going to number them at the beginning of the book. And they're going to number them a second time at the end. And, uh, and they give the totals here. Uh, as you go through the book of uh, as you go through the book of numbers, the totals of how many people were there, but these were only the people that are of the age of twenty and above it doesn 't count the women it doesn 't count the children it doesn 't count some of the others that were there, and so the really the population is going to be well over a couple million people by the time by the time you get there so I, where I want you to go go to chapter one with me and look in verse forty six chapter one verse forty six Yes, ma'am. Did they have a, a what? It, no, there was there was no cap. It just said those that were over that, that were able to go to war that were fit for that. So if you had if you had they were if they were too old, too elderly, or whatever, they would be in that other number, sister. And so um, and so they they were numbered. And so look in verse forty six. And it says, even all they that were numbered were 600,000 and 3,550. So 603,550 uh, men of fighting age. That because, because now think about it. Why, why is he interested in that? As to who can fight. What, sister? How strong an army? So, so what was the Lord planning on? War. He was planning on war. And uh, because, let, let, let me just set the, uh, I was going to say let me set the record straight, but that sounds smart, Allie. I'm, I'm telling you like a courtroom. Uh, disregard what the speaker just said, all right? Let, let, me, let me share something with you. Uh, is that Jordan uh, is a picture of what? What is the Jordan River? typify for many times as you read about it what who's death said the tall man in the back all right death and he's right but but what kind of death is it is it a picture uh, if it's if it's a picture of our the end of our earthly life then what would what would the land of Canaan represent okay eternity or What's up there? Heaven. All right. But is that true in, in, its, in, in the interpretation of the Jordan River? That it represents the end of our earthly life.
It is not. I sort of, I sort of, I sort of set you up a little bit. Uh, it, no, it does not represent the end of our earthly life. The Jordan River represents and typifies the the knowledge and identification with our, our the death of the self life. And Canaan is not a picture of heaven. You might, you might, they might sing about it like that. Maybe you've heard it presented that way. But that's really not its true picture. The true picture of, of the land of Canaan is the life that we're living right now. It's having the victorious Christian life right now. Because you see, over there, what, what are they doing in the land of Canaan? What are they doing in the, when, when they actually cross over? We get to the book of Joshua and they cross over. What do they have to do? They got to conquer it. They, they've got to fight. I mean, are, when, when, when we, if the Lord raptures us out, are we, are we expecting a battle when we get up there? Are they fighting in heaven right now? No, they're not. Now, I know that there's a war between devil and, the, and, uh, and some of those things that goes on that's, that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. But in this time frame, where we are right now, the land of Canaan represents, if you will, life here in this flesh. And that's what you got to deal with. And crossing Jordan is that acknowledgement that I died with Christ. And my identification with Him, my union with Him, it relates to Romans chapter 6, being buried... Uh, together with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. That's not a heavenly proposition. That's an earthly proposition right here. All right? And so um, it has connotations for heaven, but really it typifies what we're, what we're, what we're experiencing right here. And so uh, I, I'm going to cut to the chase a little bit. The wilderness was a part of the will of God, but the wanderings were not. All right, and because they were going to have to learn some things, and so and so in this they they, they have numbered these people because they they are thinking about war and war was going to be in the land and they were going to have to they were going to have to fight and sometimes they did you know there's some there's some uh, some folks out there like uh, some uh, some of Esau's kinfolk and. Moab and Ammon, they're going to give them problems and so forth as they try to make their way. And they're going to have to fight against them. The Amalekites are there. All right? And this is where Moses is there on that hill. And he's got it as long as his arms are in the air. Joshua prevails. And Aaron and Hur, they come along and, man, they hold up the arms of Moses. This is all before they get, in the, before they get into the land. And, uh, and so forth. And so there, there's going to be some battling that's taking place. And, uh, and so there are some great lessons in the book of Numbers for us to learn about. Or as you, you go through it, we may not hit on every one of them. And this, remember, we're doing a survey, not a, not a verse by verse dissertation or, or exposition of, of the book. But, but there are, there are some things in here that parallel some things for us as believers in the day and hour in which we live. And I'll try to, I'll try to highlight those as we go through. All right. So, so they're numbered once at the beginning and then, uh, then again toward the end. And, uh, and so the nature of the book, all right. The nature of the book, it deals with time. 
There's just one month's time between the erecting of the tabernacle at the end of Exodus and the command to count the people, all right, at the beginning of at the beginning of Numbers. There's just there's just a month that goes by. And so, uh, so some time frame is going to, is going to take place here. So notice what it says. The book covers Israel's history from the second month of the second year after the Exodus to the tenth month of the fortieth year. And so this, this time frame that's going to be here is going to be some forty years. And, uh, and that's going to be covered, all right? And so, uh, and so we see here, at, here in Numbers 1, go back and look in, Look in the early, look, let's look at the first verses of this. And the Lord spake, I'm in chapter 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take you the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel after their families by the house of their fathers with the number of their names every male by their troll. Now watch, there's to answer your question, Sister Angie, for for from twenty years old and upward that are all able to go forth to war in Israel. So there may have been some older men who were not able to go forth to war above the age of twenty. Okay? And so they would have been with that remainder of the people that make up the, the total population of Israel at the time. All right, and so so it deals with it deals with this matter of time and the fact that it takes place here at the beginning, and then it's also going to talk about their record of service. And so some of these things I have sort of like bullet points here for for us to look at. The census is going to show us their military strength, kind of like what you said. How strong is their army? What are, what are going to be their capabilities? All right, and, uh, and and yet they were going to have to trust God in these things. I mean, by the time when you get to the book of Joshua, and I'm, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself here, but you know, man, I mean, Joshua, here's a walled city. They'd never seen anything like that before. I don't know what, I don't know what downtown uh, Egypt looked like at the time when they left out of there, but here's a walled city, you know, and, uh, and there, the walls of Jericho, and the enemy is on the inside, and man, they're having to figure out how am I going to do this, and so they're going to have to learn to rely upon God, aren't they? And that's what happens. I imagine he was doing a little reconnoitering, being the military man that he was. That was his background before he became the leader of the nation. Moses will have passed away by that time. And so uh, Joshua is the one that's going to take them into the land. And so he gets out there and spies out that city, and then he meets a captain of the of the Lord's host which I believe is a Christophany, which is a pre-Bethlehem visit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in spite of all the artists and, uh, and all their uh, imaginative ideas about how the Lord looked, He did not look effeminate when He was out there by that wall. And didn't sound effeminate. He didn't say, please take your shoes off. He didn't do it like that, all right? It said, take your shoes off because the ground you're on is, is holy. And Joshua got the picture, all right? I think he understood. <laughs> and uh, and so so he does that. And so anyway, my, my point is that they, they were going to have to have military strength, and yet they were going to have to rely upon the Lord. And, 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 and it's the same thing for us, beloved. When you think about it, yes, uh, you know, we have to be a participant. We, you and I have got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit 
if we're going to enjoy the power of God in our lives, that you know, it's it's not a, a being a Christian is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator experience. Yes, there's things that you'll observe, but 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 it requires participation. It requires us being engaged. And how many of y'all were in the military? If you had, if you were in the military, just me and Brother Roy. What happened to the rest of y'all? No, I, I don't know. And uh, thank God you didn't have to go through that, right, Brother Roy? Yeah, I mean, but some things, I mean, you know. You were only 19? Oh, that's what it was. Okay. And the rest of y'all got married. Well, you ought to be thankful then for your wife. I, I got the draft number and then I got married, all right? So, um, but my, my, my point with that is, I'm sure, uh, what, what if you'd have told your drill instructor, what if you'd have told the DI, well, you know, I just don't think I've, I feel like getting up right now. I'll have my breakfast later. How would that have worked, Brother Roy? Never happened, all right? Did you even feel the urge to talk to your drill instructor about that? No, I didn't either. I didn't either. I, you know, uh, I, I made a mistake talking about soap that they were going to take away from me that my dad gave to me so that I wouldn't get a bad case of athlete's foot. And because uh, he said, you don't know where them other feet have been and where these other guys have come from. And that was on my bed. I, well, they were having a shakedown inspection. I'm standing at attention or what I think to be attention. And and uh, this chief master sergeant, like, uh, well, he's got eight stripes. And he tells my drill instructor, better get that soap from him. It was Desinex soap. He said he might try to eat that and kill himself. And I said, Sarge, my... That was all I got out. So my days of volunteering information and talking to the drill instructor ended right there. <laughs> that was on the not first uh, first day. So, yeah, no, you were going to participate. And, and, if they, and if you didn't, we had a thing called motivation flight. Motivation flight, they send you in there, you had to salute the silverware, you had to, you sat at attention, and you ate on the square. In other words, you put your fork down, you never turned your head down, you didn't look this way, you certainly didn't talk. You picked your fork up, put it in your mouth, went straight down to your plate, you didn't know what you hit. Meat, vegetables, picked it up, in you went. That was it. And you only had just a few minutes to eat, you got out of there. Yeah, those guys, they couldn't cooperate, and so... Uh, the, this is not an introductory course to basic training, okay? But it is about that God wants us to participate. So they were going to have to have a military strength, but yet they were going to have to rely upon the Lord, weren't they? And, uh, and so, so it is for us today, you know, because we are, we're in that wilderness land, all right? And so the camp then is divided according to the families to make things move easier. Look on page, look on page 15 with me, the second page of your handout. And, uh, and you'll see that at, at the, here's the distribution around the tabernacle. Dan is the centerpiece in the north and then Asher and Naphtali are there. They straddle him and then on, on the, on the, uh, what they would consider what's the eastern side is uh, is going to be Judah there in the middle, and then Issachar and uh, Zebulun uh, there at the bottom. All right, on that eastern side, the south is Reuben, Gad, and Simeon, 
And then you had Ephraim and Manasseh. Where did they come from? Joseph. That is right. That's Joseph's boys. Okay? And they got their own part of that. Because really, if you look at it that way, there's, there's how many on the outside? Four times three is twelve. And so the ones that are around the tabernacle itself, that would comprise the thirteenth family, who are the Levites. And of all the people that have been called out for war, that's all the regular people, but the Levites are not being, if you will, they're not being polled for military duty. Their, their duty is going to be the service at the tabernacle. That's what they were going to be responsible for. And so that's where you have the Gershonites, the Kohathites, the Merorites, and then of course Moses, Aaron, and when it says priests, that's Aaron's sons. Okay? And, uh, and so of which two are no longer. That's Nadab and Abihu. Alright? They brought forth strange fire. There's a lot of different opinions about what that means, that strange fire. But it just, they entered into something, they did something that, uh, that the Lord hadn't ordered and, um, and that it was not received of the Lord and they entered into something of which they had no business going into. Because uh, they, they, were not, they were not a part of that. Aaron was the high priest. He was the one that was to go into the, the holy place and so forth. And uh, their job was on the outside. And so he, he just crossed a threshold. He presumed, they presumed on something, brought forth that strange fire, and they died. God killed them. And uh, they're having to learn about the holiness of God. Were they not? They were. Remember, they were going to be learning what we saw, we saw in the book of Leviticus. They were going to have to learn how to be a holy people because they're dealing with a holy God. And, uh, and so, and so you find this, this is how the camp was set up and it was what they were going to follow every time, every time that, that, that they moved. All right. And so the camp is divided to make moving easier. The service of the Levites and the tabernacle is appointed. And we'll talk about those particular jobs in, in a little bit. And, uh, and then the march towards Canaan begins. And I, I want you to see this. Go to, Go to Numbers. Go to Numbers chapter 10. And look at verse 11. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 11. These, in these 10 chapters or the 9 chapters ahead of this, they've been taking the census, they've been talking about things, and, uh, and uh, who's going to have what job, and what are they going to do, and who's going to handle what portion of the tabernacle, and and uh, somebody's going to be doing the covering, somebody's going to be doing the linens, and then the the sockets and the and uh, the pins and so forth, all that detail, and then somebody's going to have to handle all the boards that go around there, all that wood and so forth, and they were to bear those things. Then the furniture itself had to be carried. Somebody had to carry the ark. Somebody had to carry the altar of incense and the, and the, uh, the uh, candlestick and the table of showbread. Somebody had to be responsible for that, and that's what the Kohathites did. But here in Numbers 10, look in verse, look at verse 11, and it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year, that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. And what they had learned in, uh, in, in previous days, that it, look, look in chapter 9, 
And look in verse 21. Chapter 9, verse 21. And it was so when the cloud abode from even unto the morning that the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they journeyed. In other words, if that cloud got off the tabernacle, they, it, was, it was time to move, time to pack up camp, all right? Get it together and, and, get, and get on the move and follow that. And then whether it was by day or by night that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. Or whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. And so that was the means of them to know, hey, when that cloud was off of there, it was time to start to break camp because they were fixing to head out. And so we see that they make this trip then, the beginning of the trip here in chapter 10 in verse 11. And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony and the children of Israel took their journey out of the wilderness of Sinai and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. They were moving closer they were moving closer to a place that's called Kadesh Barnea. I don't know if you have any maps in the back of your, uh, the back of your Bible or not, but uh, you could you could look at that, see where Kadesh Barnea was, and they were going to be going in. That was going to be their ingress point, if you will, at that time, and uh, and and to spy out the land and so forth. And they're going to get there, and uh, we know this is where the story of the of the uh, The ten spies, that went the twelve spies, ten came back with an evil report. Two had a good report. Joshua and Caleb are there. There's a a lot of things that are going to take place here, all right? And so so the Lord gives them these, the the services of who's going to be handling things. The march towards Canaan begins, and man, right away, I mean, it's just three days. And they're already having a problem, all right? And uh, just three days journey, and uh, and they begin to complain, and there are going to be many complaints, and that's all a picture of what? What is that a picture of? Us? Yeah, I didn't want to say it. Yeah, I was ready for y'all to say it. What, brother? <laughs> Baptist. That's right. All right, it's true. It was just their stinking flesh. It's the same flesh that we got today. You know, that didn't want to cooperate with you today. And, and, and cheer up. <laughs> You're going to have to deal with it tomorrow. Or maybe some of y'all are dealing with it right now while I'm trying to teach. I don't know. But, uh, but your flesh, and man, it gets in the way, does it not? And uh, it cer- seems to have a mind of its own, doesn't it? And so, um, and so here, look in, cha- look in, look in chapter 11, all right? Look in verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And, uh, I mean, the Lord didn't take kind of this. Can anybody think of the place where this is mentioned in the New Testament? Anybody have a recollection? Because I'm going to send you over there. Go to 1 Corinthians 10 with me. First Corinthians chapter 10. 
Notice what it says. Moreover, brethren, I'll wait for you all to get there. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock with Christ was Christ. Look at verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Look at verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. All right? And and there's some details about some of the other things that happened to them. All right? And uh, and so their murmuring uh, was not taken kindly by the Lord. And I mean, they're, they're gonna murmur, they're gonna murmur about this, about what they're having to do. And, uh, because of this, this burning, if you will. And then they're gonna, they're gonna murmur about the manna. They say, all we got is this light bread. And then it's even this murmuring, you know, and, and here's the thing about, here's one of the things about, have you ever heard the statement, misery loves company? All right. And so some of these things, just like fear, fear can become contagious, can't it? Particularly in times of war, it paralyzes people, paralyzes soldiers, airmen, whoever. And, uh, and, and it can spread. And, uh, and, and so to hear with complaining and the whining, and uh, it can spread if it's not dealt with. And, and so too it was here that they had this. And so even, even Aaron and Miriam. Now who were they? Who was Aaron and Miriam? Okay. Who was Aaron? Moses' brother. And Miriam? Moses' sister. So here's his kinfolk. All right. Kinfolk. And they they were like, man, you're taking too much on yourself here, buddy. And they, and they have a problem with Moses, and they start complaining about Moses and his leadership. And what happens to them? She got leprosy, and uh, and there's no natural cure. There's no known cure for leprosy. Did you know that? And, uh, and so, man, I mean, and so the, the scripture is going to say here in the book of Numbers that they couldn't journey while she healed. Now, the Lord had mercy on her, and, and Moses would intervene in each of these times when they complained. And, uh, and, so, and so the Lord did what he did in sparing lives for Moses' sake. And, uh, and so, but these, this complaining, it was growing. And he, do you remember... Who can, who, who can tell me who Korah was? What we, she, that's what happened to him. Yeah, letter rebellion. Yes, letter rebellion against Moses basically said, basically, you know, like you take too much on yourself here, Moses. Who do you think you are? And uh, like you think the Lord only speaks to you? And uh, and so Moses just said, well, you know, if you die a natural death, he said, then we'll know, you know. 
And uh, and so they got out there, and you know, in the next morning or whatever, and man, I mean, the ground opened up, and they and they just went straight to the pit, didn't they, sister? They did. And uh, and fear came upon the people. Hmm, that'll do it. <laughs> that would do it. I mean, just like just like Ananias and Sapphira. I bet they really had church after they were gone. Because the scripture talks about the fact there was no break in the service. Whoever was preaching or whatever, they, he probably had, you know, he probably, somebody, somebody probably had a second message. <laughs> yeah, like, let's don't leave just now, <laughs> you know. Let's make sure everybody else, anybody else got a complaint? No, 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 you know. And, uh, and so I, I'm just saying that, that, yeah, fear came upon them. And so tragedy strikes in this rebellion, and it begins. And, and, and then what's going to happen then is also it's going to be unbelief. And unbelief can be contagious. People say things like, you know, we've, we've never done that before. We tried that. It didn't work once. It won't work again. You know, uh, you know they, got, they have a bad case of mites. You know, sheep get mites, you know. Well, we might try that, and that might work. You know, you got to get the mites off of them. And, and so, and so uh, th- these things happen to them. Judgment falls and now 40 years of wandering is going to take place because of this. And all through that land. And that's why I said, you know, really, it was only about an 11 day journey to go from where they were to get to where they wanted to be. But it winds up being 40 years of this wandering, wandering, wandering. Now, and in part of this, they were going to have time. I said that the wilderness was a part of of the will of God. And what do you suppose that was? Why were they going to have to... Why do you suppose that the wanderings were part of the will of God? It's okay. It's all right. I, I think this is just my opinion. What were you going to say, Brother David? Okay, it was going to be to weed them out, sister. They learned to depend on God. They had, they had to learn some things about themselves. And isn't that true after we got saved? I mean, we, we knew we were sinners when we called upon the Lord and we were thankful to be forgiven. Thank God our names were written down. But we just didn't realize how sorry a sinner we were. And that our eyes get open to some other things. And then God begins to what? Our sanctification. Oh, that's a problem? (laughs) Gee, I didn't know that. I've been doing that for years. Okay. Gosh. Thank you, Lord. Oh, that's a problem too? You know, I mean, as as you go through things and as you read your Bible and you're around the preaching and, and, uh, and, and, you know, and now you're having to deal with stuff like, you're like, well, I, I, I have to forgive them? Boy, they're sorry, you know, and all that kind of stuff. you got to learn those things. But also they had to learn, as you said, Sister Angie, they had to learn to depend upon God. They didn't know a lot about Him. Remember, they were there, He was there on the mountain, and they're saying, Moses, hey, you talk to Him. We'll listen to what you have to say, but, but don't let us, you know. And so that, that, was their, that was their idea about who Jehovah was. And, uh, and now they were going to learn that they could trust him and talk with him and so forth. And, uh, and, and for them to be able to grow because 
They were going to need this when they got in the land of Canaan where they're going to have to fight. They're going to have to learn that God will take care of them, that He was going to keep His word when He said, I'm going to bring you out so I can bring you in. And, uh, and put you in a land that flowed with milk and honey. And I'm going to put you in these houses and their vineyards and all these promises. They, they just didn't have any, any background experience. I mean, at least you think about it. Before David ever faced a Goliath, he had run through a lion and a bear. He had a couple warm-ups to have a little history. They didn't really have any. They only saw, they saw the miracles and they did those things. But again, just like a lot of people, they forget things. And even we do, we forget things. Even sometimes about the past faithfulness of God, when everything's been rolled along pretty good and then all of a sudden maybe the bottom falls out or a trial presents itself, a, a season of testing, and now you're having, to, you're having to deal with something. Brother, I'm glad you brought that in because I thought about bringing that. I was going to put it on a table. I was trying to figure out how I could show this. Yes. I sure enough thought about to bring it in, and then I forgot about it. But uh, but yeah, this all all these pieces of furniture here, the laver and the brazen, all that had to be manufactured, and all that had to be packed up. All that had to be taken care of, you know, and uh, and all those linens and all those things, all that had to be done, and it was no small task. Say, how you know the only thing you didn't tell me about, brother Ed, how many Levites were there? If you, if you read through the book of Numbers, you'll find out there were 22,000 Levites. And they were going to need them. All right? And, uh, and there was a principle there. Let's look at this. Let me back up just a minute. Thank you, Brother Roger, for getting that. Go back to... Go back to Numbers... Chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3 and look at verse 5. And it said, bring the tribe... Verse 5 says, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, bring the tribe of Levi near. That phrase, bring near, carries with it a connotation of a sacrifice an offering made unto God. It has that kind of connotation. It has that kind of meaning. So that literally these Levites, these sons of Levites, were going to be offered to God as a sacrifice for their service, a a picture of their devotion and dedication. And we'll talk a little bit more about this, but but this is how they came to their number. And then what happens... Then they, they wanted to know, you know, how many other people that were not in that group. Uh, well, I'll explain that when we get there, all right? There's, there's a shortage, and so there's a redemption that takes place. And these men are redeemed. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about that. And for those that, in other words, there were 22,000 of them that were going to be, that were going to be used, and there, there was, 
all, they gathered all the firstborns. Do you remember back in Exodus, the Lord said, all right, all the firstborn, whether it be of an animal, firstborn male, all these are, are mine. They belong to me. And so then the Lord went through and, and uh, amongst all these tribes then and said, I want a count of how many, how many uh, firstborns are there. And so they went through and guess what? There were 22,000, just like the number of the Levites that they had counted, 22,273. So there were more of those firstborn that had come through the matrix or whatever, and so they had to pay a redemption fee. In other words, that somebody was going to have to take care of this tabernacle and all this furniture and all this serving, and so... God was going to use those that were first there in the book of Exodus, but you remember what happened on the when he came down the mountain and they were having the party? Who was it that took up the swords and came to Moses' aid? It was Levi. And so because of that, that's why they were selected for this service, because they stood with the Lord. And so... They, this service, this was, and you think about it, that, the, the typical Israelite, yeah, he might have to fight in battle, but they weren't fighting every day. And he just had a small tent maybe to pick up for him and his family and look after his house. This was a pretty major task. And so everybody kind of shared an equal part. The Levites took care of this, and uh, and those that, that they couldn't redeem one for one, the overage, the 273, they had to pay five shekels. Uh, to redeem themselves, which amount, you know, in today's money was about $2.50 a piece. And that money was used to help maintain the uh, the tabernacle. So God made sure that the work was distributed equally and, uh, and, and fairly. And so, but, th- but that's, a, that's, a, that's another, that's another thing we'll look at. So, so go back with me here. So, this, this judgment of 40 years falls, we're up there in those things, judgment falls and 40 years of wandering that begins. And so, so they were having to learn some things about themselves as well as learn some things about the faithfulness of God, that they could trust Him and that they could, you know, when they had a need, He would supply it. What did He do for their clothing? Wouldn't wear out. Man, that's the faithfulness of God. And I, I know that people have, have you know, everybody has a, di- a different genetic makeup. But, you know, I, I think, think about some of our men that are, that are still able to work and they're, they're up in, in years and so forth. I think, about, I think about Brother Brock and I think about Brother Dick Walker. And, uh, and yes, do they have some things? Do they have some health problems? I, su- I suspect that they do, but it doesn't keep them. It hasn't knocked them out of the saddle. That's what I'm trying to say. That, to me, that's the faithfulness of God. You know, He's the one that, that keeps us healthy and He's the one. Now we, we have to participate in that. I mean, I don't think, I hope you just don't go home and in your pantry there's nothing but honey buns. Brother. <laughs> what am I looking at you for? He always has good snacks when we go fishing. <laughs> uh, but, but, my, but the idea is that you, you, know, you participate in this, but I'm telling you, but hasn't God ever watched it? Can, you, can anybody testify that God has watched over you in your years? Kept you from some things? Absolutely. Absolutely. That others have, that others have things that have befallen them. 
And, uh, and so, but they were going to have to learn how to trust God. Because they were going to go against some peoples and enemies that were, I mean, they spent their whole lifetime battling and fighting and so forth. And, uh, and these folks, these were just bricklayers, right? And there were some other craftsmen that were there. But these young men, they were, they were being, they were being called upon, all right? So a new numbering is going to take place. Final preparations are made to enter the land and possess it. We'll get into some of the details about that. So, so the importance of the book, all right? It's example, which we already went to 1 Corinthians 10. All these things befell them because they were going to, supposed to be an example unto us of things that we should not do and we can learn. And what does Romans 15 and 4 th- says? Knowing this, that the things that were written aforetime were for our learning and that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So the things that are written aforetime, that's the Old Testament. And so we can learn about the faithfulness of God from the Old Testament saints and how God dealt with them and His mercy. And so, uh, and so don't be entangled in that besetting sin of unbelief. And that's what Hebrews 12 talks about in Hebrews 3, about that evil heart of unbelief. And that besetting sin, you remember? Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. A weight is not necessarily a sin, but it might be something that's slowing you down, something that's hindering you in your journey. All right? And let us lay aside every weight and the sin. That's specific. And I think, I think that wherefore refers back to that hall of faith in chapter 11. And so that the sin of chapter 12 is that sin of unbelief. And that's what it was, that's what they were going to have to contend with. And that's the lesson that we can learn from this is that we can trust God. He does keep His word. All the promises of God, according to the New Testament, all the promises of God are, are, are in Him are yea and amen. There's not a maybe there. Now, some of those things, yes, it's true, they are conditional, but God will always hold up His end of the bargain. He will do it, and you can trust Him, you can count upon Him. And so, and so we see this, and, and these were not, this is the thing, these were not perfect people. I mean, look at Jacob. <laughs> and yet God was faithful to him and blessed him. And, uh, and so, I mean, it's just the grace of God. And they had an opportunity, as we have an opportunity, to draw upon that and to enjoy that divine enabler to help us through, through these difficult times. Any questions about the setting of the book, about the circumstances, what all is in here? I'm telling you, it's a very interesting book. Man, you're going to, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll touch on, man, the, the cities of refuge and what they mean and some, some on the one side of Jordan and three of them on the other side of Jordan. Their names all have a meaning and so forth. All of that's related to us as believers and the like. Some of these things are, are still ours for our, us to enjoy today. Any, any questions? Aren't you all ready to go to the house? <laughs> all right, well, let's pray. Father... I sure do thank you for my church family and these faithful folk, Lord, that come each week to listen. They're so patient. I pray you'll bless them. I pray you'll put them in remembrance of these things, Lord, when the next trial comes their way. That they might revert back and, Lord, look in the book 
and see the hand of God in your faithfulness, Father. I pray they'd be encouraged and strengthened. Bless them this week, Lord, as they labor. In Jesus' name, amen.